the world's first operational manual, subtitled Loosen the Reins, Let's Grow. This is Season 2 and Episode 12 of John Sanders' Parables for Entrepreneurs podcast. And you'll find at the end of this episode, John's complete reading of Chapter 26, titled Loosen the Reins, Let's Grow, from his book, Parables for Entrepreneurs, which, in the next few weeks, will be released here in its entirety, nonstop, all 31 chapters. Visit johnsanders.com for more insights, articles, stories, and be sure to catch this podcast anywhere you get yours and share it with a friend. You can also visit us at www.parablesforentrepreneurspodcast.com and leave John an audio message or even a question, and I'm sure he'd love to hear from you and answer it on the show. I'm really excited about this podcast, so... Let me tell you, this you is to... some of my favorite Bible stuff, and I've never heard anyone else express it this way. So I'm unique, as far as I know. Why is it? Why is it your favorite? Because it's so somebody. realistic. It's so meaningful. It's as it's as meaningful today as it was three thousand years ago. Yes, it's amazing. And Thirty years ago when you wrote it. Yeah. Well, yeah. three thousand years ago when Moses and Jethro did it. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's just like you're sitting there today. It's it, you know, this is it's it's happening. So anyway, we'll get to so it. So your article, uh, chapter twenty six in Parables for Entrepreneurs, is titled "Loosen the Reins, Let's Grow." Right. Well, this follows a chapter that I had on what I call adolescence, and my I'll give a, just a tad of background on ad, adolescence because we all went through it. We wanted to right. be tied to Mama's apron strings. But to the same token, we wanted our driver's license and get the hell out of the, the house and have our freedom. So I yeah. said, in between those two, you have some pushes and pulls and things change. And at some points you want to be a kid and at some points you want to be an adult. But by the time you're 18, you got to be a t- adult and have all the systems in place to live the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you can't keep learning. You can't learn the, the, the basics in life after you're an adult. It's too late. Right. 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 So Moses had got the, the children of Israel out of Egypt and they had all kinds of problems. They they left uh, uh, scourges on the Egyptians. They drowned a whole bunch of them when the when the uh, Red Sea closed back in on them. I mean, it was an exciting time. So Moses gets out in the wilderness, leading them to the promised land. Mm-hmm. You know how long they were in the wilderness? Get to the promised land. Forty years. And it's not that far. They just wandered around. So there was a point in time when things kind of stabilized. So it's like a corporation. It gets started. You've got your pushes and pulls. And at some point, there begins to be a kind of a norm. Whatever it is, you adapt Mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. And so that happened in the wilderness. The children of Israel had settled down. Some of the old timers died off, got rid of them. New people came in. They didn't know anything about the Egyptians. And you probably had babies too, right? They had babies that didn't know the Egyptians. And so, you know, sometime in the 40 years, these are now beginning to be adults. And they didn't realize that they'd had, that they were slaves 20 years ago. All right. So they wanted a new life. They wanted to live. So this, this section is after it is stabilized. And so I'm just going to read from the, from the Bible. It's uh, Exodus, uh, the 18th chapter. Mm-hmm. And it starts off by saying, I'm going to read it. I'm just going to read the whole section. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, 
heard about everything that God had done for Moses and the people of Israel when he led them out of Egypt. So he came to Moses, bringing with him Moses' wife Zipporah, who had been left behind, and Gershep and Eliezer, her two sons. Jethro came with Moses' wife and her two sons into the desert where Moses was camped at the holy mountain. He had sent word to Moses that they were coming, so Moses went out to meet him, bowed before him, and kissed him. They asked about each other's health and then went into Moses' tent. Moses told Jethro everything that the Lord had done to the king and to the people of Egypt in order to rescue the Israelites. He also told him about the hardships the people had faced on their way and how the Lord had saved them. When Jethro heard all this, he was happy and said, Praise the Lord who has saved you from the king and the people of Egypt. Praise the Lord who saved his people from slavery. The next day, Moses was settling disputes among the people, and he was kept busy from morning till night. When Jethro saw everything that Moses had to do, he asked, What is all this that you're doing for the people? Why are you doing all this alone, with people standing here from morning till night to consult you? Moses answered, I must do this because the people come to me to learn God's will. When two people have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide which one of them is right, and I tell them God's commands and laws. Then Jethro said, You're not doing this right. You will wear yourself out and these people as well. This is too much for you to do alone. Now let me give you some good advice, and God will be with you. It is right for you to represent the people before God and bring their disputes to him. You should teach them God's commands and explain to them how they should live and what they should do. But in addition, you should choose some capable men and appoint them as leaders of the people. Leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They must be God-fearing men who could be trusted and who cannot be bribed. Let them serve as judges for the people on a permanent basis. They can then bring all the difficult, case, difficult cases to you, but they themselves can decide all the smaller disputes. That will make it easier for you as they share your burden. If you do this, as God commands, you will not wear yourself out, and all these people can go home with their disputes settled. Moses took Jethro's advice and chose capable men from among all the Israelites. He appointed them in leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people on a permanent basis, bringing the difficult cases to Moses, but deciding the smaller disputes themselves. Then here's an interesting little paragraph. Then Moses said goodbye to Jethro, and Jethro went back home. <laughs> I think that's great. <laughs> he did his job. Yeah. He got Moses straightened out. But you think about this. This happens in small companies. The entrepreneur does everything when it gets started. The whole I'm company is it. dependent on entrepreneur for everything, just like you. Does everything, right? Right. There's no no part of it that's that the entrepreneur isn't heavily involved in. And at some point, you got to quit. You got to back yep. off. You got to turn it over to other people. In fact, hopefully, people that are better at it than you. Exactly. And that's what happened. And that's when that's when things begin to thrive, because now you have a corp, an organization that is growing, not an entrepreneur that is better than the next guy. Yeah. Yep. The th take take a look at Elon Musk. Elon Musk can do everything, and he did everything. But he's beginning to have organization. Look at SpaceX. My God, they must have enormous yep. people there. So the um, so Mo Jethro was really had his or new organization chart. So it's like yeah. a corporation that now has an organization chart. 
you have vice presidents that are over divisions, vice presidents that are assistant vice presidents that have a group of 50 or 10. And they, they, the characteristics are the same as our, what you want in your corporation. Stockholder-fearing persons, not necessarily God-fearing, stockholder-fearing. By the way, fearing is not scared. Fearing is a respect. You you mm. respect the person. You fear them. Mm. Mm-hmm. And they're, so, therefore, if they're stockholder-fearing persons, they have the same basic goals as the stockholders. We want to make money, build the value, and ultimately get rich. And have fun and doing guess, it. And guess what the other characteristic? They can be trusted and cannot be bribed. Nothing's changed. Yeah. Exactly the same characteristics, yeah. characteristics we seek today. This set up the organization for much more efficiency so it could develop a life of its own for when the entrepreneur was gone from day-to-day management. So then guess what happens? These guys get started. And Moses recognizes they need a handbook. They, they need to understand what are the basics that they, how they make their decisions. What do you base your decisions on? And he realized that he didn't have anything like that. So guess what he does, John? He goes up to Mount Sinai. He sits there and, as however they did it in those days, talks with God. And God, if you remember the Ten Commandments movie, where the lightning comes down and writes it on his tablets, here come the Ten Commandments. And he goes back with the Ten Commandments, and there's the, the operational manual for the Israelite corporation in the wilderness. Well, I don't have a lightning bolt, but I have been writing like crazy, documenting everything so I can just pass it off to somebody. Yeah, there you go. Yep. But I point out, I said this way, the process has to, the entrepreneur has to start turning it over at a point in time when there's a degree of normalcy. When you reach that good positive cash flow and you can project it going forward, then the entrepreneur has to begin to step aside and start looking for bigger things. You mm-hmm. can't keep dealing with the same stuff. You let your vice presidents deal with the same stuff. And you begin mm-hmm. to look for those those high profit margin niches. Mm-hmm. What I call the $50 leather bound Bible, <laughs> family Bible. <You laughs> that, was the last epi- that was huh? the last episode. That was the last episode mentioned several times in others because it's a great story. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you look around and you say, where's the family Bible? And so when you are an entrepreneur and things are going, you've got to be looking for new family Bibles, things that yeah. have high profit margins and that drive the corporation to a new era. So if Moses hadn't changed, what would have been a great achievement would be, de- would be destroyed by its own success. So then I make a little statement, which I believe the problems of failure are easy to define. The problems of success are tougher. And I I have always prophesied that when, when cash flow turns negative and things start going bad, the shit flows to the surface. And everybody, mm-hmm. all the arguments, all the people that don't like other people, it all rises to the surface. When things are going good and you're making money, there are no problems. The problems show up when things turn bad. So you need a little recession every once in a while. So you can weed out the problems. You need it in you need it in the economy. You need it in corporations. You need it in the family. All right, things start going bad. You find out who doesn't like what, 
and what they don't like. So recessions bring out the worst of everybody, and you want that brought out so you can deal with it. And that's what we're going through in COVID right now. There's so yeah. many businesses going out of business. Yeah. Now, and I, you remember yeah. what the Ten Commandments are? Let me read them. You shall have no other gods before me. Right on number one. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that on the earth beneath or that is the water under the earth. And you shall not bow down before them to serve them. He says, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. And the children of third and fourth generations of those who hate me will I'll show up but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. That's tough. Number three. Mm. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold them guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's a tough one for us today. Yeah. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, the Lord in it, you shall not do work, nor shall your son, nor daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Number five, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the earth which the Lord your God is giving you. Then come the tough, the, the practical ones. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. You put those 10 down there and guess what? That's how the Israelites lived. In fact, Jewish people today still live by those same rules. There's all kinds of correlators. You know, by the time Jesus came around, the Pharisees had some 300 and something regulations that went with the the laws, much like our government today. You have the basic laws of Congress and and the Constitution. Then you have thousands and thousands and thousands of regulations that are interpreted by the bureaucracy. Yep. It's the bureaucracy that makes things difficult. If you could just live by the Ten Commandments or the Constitution and forget all these regulations, things would run smoothly. Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned it because I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Now, one thing Trump has done, he's eliminated about 70 percent of all the regulations. Hmm. The federal regulate book is no longer three inches thick. It's now one inch thick. Still too Mm -hmm. thick. Mm -hmm. But now what I mentioned, the bureaucracy. I got to get off into my favorite things about the bureaucracy. This is what you have to avoid in any company. When things become bureaucratic and you get like the federal government, which is the ultimate bureaucracy, mm-hmm. your business slows down. It grinds to a halt. The mm-hmm. reason is, by my three basic principles of the bureaucracy, Parkinson's law, Murphy's law, and the Peter principle. When those start cropping in, then your company, you got to look, and this is what the entrepreneur has to look out for, has to look in his organization. I hate to use the term, but see who's feather bedding. Remember that term from the old railroad? Uh, I do. Railroad I do. I do. <laughs> the I feather do. betters. Yeah. yeah. Say, John, I want to interrupt you to let our listeners know that 
you can go to the podcast at parablesforentrepreneurs.com and do a search for everything he just mentioned in terms of Murphy's Law and all the oh, rest really? of it. Very good. Oh, sure. Yeah, because there's several episodes, uh, you know, where you talked about it, and it's it, they're really great episodes. Well, I'm just going to review quickly what those three items Please are. Please do. Please Parkinson's do. Law. This came out in the eighteen in the nineteen early nineteen hundreds. Parkinson was a uh, business guy and professor in England. Uh huh. And his basic law was: in a bureaucracy, it always comes in a bureaucracy. Work expands to equal the time allotted for it. Oh, what a critical thing! If this guy's paid for eight hours. He works eight hours. How much work he does? Irrelevant. He gets paid for eight hours, and that's his job. In a bureaucracy, your number one job in a bureaucracy is to keep your job. It's not to help the people. It's not anything else. It's to keep your job. So you have to watch that the whole bureaucracy slows down because people are just putting in their time. Mm -hmm. The second law I brought is Murphy's Law. Now, I met Colonel Murphy when I was in the government 35 years ago. And uh, yeah, when I leave the government, I left the government 50 years ago. Can you believe that? So Colonel Murphy was at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and he was, this was early NASA stuff. And he came up with the fact that when he told his minions that were working on stuff, remember, if something can go wrong, it will. Therefore, you have to assume that everything that could go wrong, you got to deal with. Because if you're dealing with thousands of parts, and each one has one chance in a thousand of going wrong, the odds are it's, it's going to, one of them is going to go wrong. Yeah. And this is where Boeing failed for that new 737 Max. They got over cocky, I think. And they weren't really on top of stuff. You look at all the stuff that went wrong in that 737 yep. Max. The software yep. was not really well done. This wasn't well done. That They didn't take Murphy's Law and take it into account. And they really didn't do the backups in all the places they should have. How That's... I don't have any reason for saying that other than that's just my observation. Well, my, my, my brother-in-law was one of the lead engineers. He, for years, with a team of four other guys, actually uh, built the LCD liquid display panels for the uh, cockpit. Yeah. So he had, he had a lot to say about that, or has a lot to say about it. He said two things, that operationally, a lot of the Boeing stuff moved out of Seattle and moved to, I, I want to say, North Carolina. I'm not sure if that's right or not. He said that was a problem because a whole lot of people that were really talented and good did not move. Yeah. So the yeah. team, the second thing he said was that the countries that actually purchased the Max um, were not sufficiently trained. Yeah. That, well, uh, they said that, that the, the pilots, that, that that problem they had was not an, a unique situation. It occurred mm -hmm. where you, you your automatic takes over and does right. stuff funny, right? Yeah. It's like yeah. in your car. You can have your... You can have your uh, uh, cruise control on, but you better be on top of everything that's going on. Yeah, exactly. The that's the, the cruise control doesn't isn't always perfect. And that's the that's the issue with the Tesla as well. Yeah, especially this, in this the is, rain. You got the first thing you do in the rain is cut your cruise control off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah. it's going to spin around. Yep. So the third thing that defines a bureaucracy is the Peter principle. Not forget Peter's first name, but Peter he, Drucker, right? Huh. Are you talking no, Peter Drucker? No, it's uh, something Peter. I've already forgot it. Getting old, okay. John. But the Peter principle is the following. In a bureaucracy, people rise 
to their level of incompetency. Very right. simple rule. Everybody that's in a bureaucracy gets promoted because they do a good job, and then they get promoted because they do a good job, and suddenly get in a job in a position where they can't do a good job, either because they don't know what's going on, it's above their characteristics, they got people that won't respond to them, it doesn't matter, but they're in a position where they can't really operate well, efficiently. Well, in a bureaucracy, nobody gets demoted or fired. They just mm. sit. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon your bureaucracy is filled with people who are in a position where they can't accomplish anything. And mm-hmm. guess what? Once again, the bureaucracy grinds to a halt. And therefore, nothing gets done. It's nothing's changed. That's the way it is. So when when your company is growing and you're really doing things, you've got to be on the lookout that you're not becoming a bureaucracy. And you got to dig in there. And that's the entrepreneur or the CEO or the boss has always got to be looking down the line to see where there's things are, are slowing down. What a great life. So Moses had the same thing. Once Moses didn't have to do all that crap every day, he was able to look around and make big decisions like going and going up on the mountain and getting the Ten Commandments. <laughs> mm-hmm. If he was mm-hmm. still sitting in the line all day long, he never would have been able to do that. Now I get the yeah. biggest kick out of the fact that once Jethro thought, saw that Moses was, was rolling along, he went home. I'll get out of here. Let Moses do his job. Isn't that a great story? No, I know. It's the world's first operational manual right there. 3,000 years ago. I know. I know. Well, as you were going through the whole thing, I was like relating it to, you know, building herd, not seeing media. Yeah. And it, and it just like, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. So, you know, I've been in the process of finding people that do what needs to be done that are better than me. I'm just going, you know what? It's, I'm not really talented at this. Get somebody else to do it. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, we'll see where we'll see where it goes. And but it don't also forget, gives... you're still the number one salesman. Exactly. <laughs> Never I turn that over. That. Never turn that over to somebody. No, no, no. I haven't, I haven't forgotten that. I've been getting a lot of really good feedback about that as well. And a lot of it is, uh, yeah. You want to summarize this up a little bit or? How do I summarize it? <laughs> it, it is a summary um, in itself. This, this sum, yeah. The summary is the following. You can't do everything yourself. Yeah. And therefore, you have to have trusted partners. They have to be partners. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they think like you do. Right. They have, as, a, as the Bible says, they're God-fearing, or in my case, stockholder-fearing, uh, trusted people that respect what you're in business for to build the assets of the company and grow the value and cannot be bribed. Nothing's changed. Bribery is a killer. And uh, therefore, uh, they take over at various levels. And this was interesting what he said. You have leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. So you start with executive vice presidents, vice presidents, assistant vice president, and directors, or whatever you want to call yeah. Our, our, our office managers, whatever. And yeah. therefore, they go at their levels. Then you have to have a good operational manual. So everybody, here we go, talking from the same script. Yep. We're all thinking yep. the same way. I get it. I get it. You know, I was, John, I was, when I was really young, I was trained for seven years in a religious organization, a nonprofit. Yeah. And when they saw my capability, they basically said, all you need to do is treat this place like you own it. Oh, and cool. although, yeah, although I never really owned it, 
I definitely treated it like I did, and people thought I owned it. But, and I had no, what's that? But you have to have the same goals as the organization. Everybody has to have the same exactly. goals. That's yep. one of the reasons I'm not a, a trustee or director of any nonprofit. Uh-huh. Because the goal, yeah. you get in there, I get in there, and you're dealing with 15 or 20 or even 100 other people, and uh -huh. everybody's there for a different reason. Yep. They're there because they want to do good. They like this. They want you to do that. They're all there for a little different reason. They have their own agenda. Yeah. When you're in a corporation and you have a slim board of directors, they should all have the same agenda. Build the value of the company. Yeah. Good. So as we, right, begin, to expand, as we ex begin to expand the board of directors of Heard Not Seen, we want people that are not necessarily technically good. We can right. have an advisory board for that. Okay. But you want yep. people that are looking at the corporate structure and the overall goals of the corporation. Exactly. Yep. I get it, John. I'm so grateful for these conversations. Wasn't it fun? Yeah, yeah it is I fun. love that section. I've never heard anyone take that same viewpoint like I did about Jethro no. and Moses and, and the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments didn't come out of nowhere. It came because Moses needed them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I don't have a lightning bolt uh, that's like etching out my manual, but I am One of these it. nights, John, <laughs> you will have that lightning bolt. <laughs> I know. I actually, uh, let me go read you something that my uh, minister wrote me. When I told him what I was doing with uh, Heard Not Seen Imagine Podcasting, he wrote, as a prayer, essentially, he wrote, Imagine podcasting rocks. It's blazing into high gear, generating significant positive revenue streams and a huge success for its clients now. That's pretty good. A minister said that. A minister said that. He My forgot minister. to put in there the, the paragraph about don't forget your tithe. Well, I know, 10%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He well, he knows. He forgot to add that. Well, I've been tithing a whole lot more. I, I've been tithing a lot with them for since 2000, uh, 2000, uh, uh, 2005. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, John, I'll talk to you later, but stick right. around. Okay. Loosen the reins. Let's grow from Exodus 18. Just as in adolescence, we must build into an organization the management structure to deal with problems on their proper level. The organization must gain strength by working together, making and overcoming lots of small mistakes. Listen to the advice given to Moses when the Israelite nation had reached a period of stabilization in their journey throughout the wilderness from Egypt to the Promised Land. This is a long section, but these words are as applicable today as they were 3,500 years ago. Moses' father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything that God had done for Moses and the people of Israel, when he led them out of Egypt. So he came to Moses, bringing with him Moses' wife, Sipporah, who had been left behind, and Gershom and Eliezer, their two sons. Jethro came to Moses' wife and her two sons in the desert, where Moses was camped at the holy mountain. He had sent word to Moses that they were coming, so Moses went out to meet him, bowed before him, and kissed him. They asked about each other's health, and then went into Moses' tent. Moses told Jethro everything that the Lord had done to the king and the people of Egypt in order to rescue the Israelites. He also told him about the hardships the people had faced on their way and how the Lord had saved them. 
When Jethro heard all this, he was happy and said, Praise the Lord who saved you from the king and the people of Egypt. Praise the Lord who saved his people from slavery. The next day, Moses was settling disputes among the people, and he was kept busy from morning until night. When Jethro saw everything that Moses had to do, he asked, What is all this that you're doing for the people? Why are you doing this all alone, with people standing here from morning until night to consult you? And Moses answered, I must do this because the people come to me to learn God's will. When two people have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide which one of them is right, and I tell them God's commands and laws. Then Jethro said, You're not doing this right. You will wear yourself out and these people as well. This is too much for you to do alone. Now let me give you some good advice, and God will be with you. It is right for you to represent the people before God and bring their disputes to Him. You should teach them God's commands and explain to them how they should live and what they should do. But in addition, you should choose some capable men and appoint them as leaders of the people. Leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They must be God-fearing men who can be trusted and who cannot be bribed. Let them serve as judges for the people on a permanent basis. They can bring all the difficult cases to you, but they themselves can decide all the smaller disputes. That will make it easier for you as they share their burden. If you do this, as God commands, you will not wear yourself out, and all these people can go home with their disputes settled. Moses took Jethro's advice and chose capable men from among the Israelites. He appointed them as leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people on a permanent basis, bringing the difficult cases to Moses, but deciding the smaller disputes themselves. Then Moses said goodbye to Jethro, and Jethro went back home. Holy smokes! What a story from so long ago. Moses was reaching the point where he couldn't do it all himself. However, he was caught up in the enormity of it all, such that he couldn't change the tires while the car was moving. He didn't want to trust the management to others. He felt the total responsibility. Jethro pointed out the management techniques for the first organization chart. With capable managers over the various parts of the company, trusted with the size of the organization representing their respective abilities. Note the basic requirements for the world's first vice presidents. Stockholder-fearing persons, the same basic goals as the stockholders, and those who can be trusted and cannot be bribed. Exactly the same characteristics as we seek today. This sets up the organization for much more efficiency, so it could develop the life of its own for when the entrepreneur was gone from day-to-day -day management. As soon as the management team began to operate, Moses realized the need for each management to understand the basic rules to utilize in making judgment decisions. Thus, we find Moses in Exodus 20, up on the top of Mount Sinai, receiving the world's first corporate operations manual, the Ten Commandments. By the way, this process of turning over the management responsibility usually begins when that sales level gets above that $1 million level. It must be pretty well completed when the annual sales level is at 10 to 20 million, or the entrepreneur will find his Jethro, or board of directors, or other advisors, or his father-in-law, telling him to get some help or the situation will crumble. What would have been a great achievement will be destroyed by its own success. The problems of failure are easy to define. The problems of success are tougher.